guys, I come from a shouting Baptist background. That quiet offering taken up is a little eerie. But you know what? I guess at, at the same time, there is a time to be quiet and reverence and worship. So that was special. That was neat. That was different. Um, but that was okay. And uh, I'm just thankful that we're able to be gathered here um, and seeking the Lord and seeking His face and looking to hear Him as He speaks and hear what He has to say to us out of His Word. Well, this morning we have the privilege of going again to John chapter number 8. So I would like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and uh, turn to John chapter 8. Um, we, we have been bouncing around in the 8th chapter of John. Um, and I would remind you again, I haven't forsaken James, that expositional journey through James. We'll get back there sometime. But we had to go to John 8, and I haven't been able to get out of John 8. And so we've just sort of been bouncing around this chapter, and I have been enjoying it. Everything from the, the woman that was caught in sin being set free to Jesus talking about whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And today I want to pick up and read. I want us to read together beginning in verse um, 37 of John chapter 8. And if you would like, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we read it together. Um, beginning in verse 37, Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my Word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You may be seated. This is God's Word. Now some of you from generations above me may think this is silly, what I'm about to share with you. But when I was in junior high school, Dave may can identify with this a little bit, we used to would have 
Yo Mama competitions. You got it, okay? Where we would sit around and we would try to see who could come up with the best Yo Mama joke. Now, if you, we didn't mean anything by it. Now, and if you said it to the wrong person, you get in the fight probably. But those of us that understood the spirit of the competition, we got along fine with. Matter of fact, even today, me and my son, in the presence of my wife, will have a Yo Mama competition. Even with my grandmother, and it's just all fun. It's just funny. But you know, you you would say things like this. You know, you you would say things like, "Yo, mama's so large that when she sits around the house, she literally sits around the house." And then somebody would come back, and they would say, "No, no, 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 no. Your mama's so large that when she gets her mail, it comes in two zip codes." And it's just foolish stuff. And sometimes it. You could say it to the wrong person, and sometimes it did result in a, a fight. I think I've been in one of those in junior high school before. Well, you say, what has that got to do with the price of eggs in this text? I'm going to tell you, okay? Jesus is getting the Pharisees fighting mad here. And he is not telling a yo mama joke, but Jesus is, in the text that we read, addressing something that is no joking matter. He is talking to them about who their father is, and they are getting so mad. They said at the beginning of that text, they wanted to pick up stones, and they wanted to kill him. This is not a laughing matter here. Matter of fact, this is a very serious thing that I want us to look at and consider in this text in John 8 this morning. Um, Jesus, as he does this, I would like for you to ask your own self the question, who is your father? And when I ask that question, I'm not talking about your blood relative father. I'm talking about your spiritual father. Who is your father? Who is that? Because there seems to be this assumption out there in the world today that everybody is God's child. You hear it said, we're all God's children. As a matter of fact, um, Daria Shefnit, the pastor of education and youth at Cross Creek Community Church, made this comment. Let me quote them. There are boxes people like to put us in because people are comfortable with labels. But when it comes down to it, we're all God's children, end quote. And I would, after that quote, say with a question mark, we're all God's children? We're all God's children? I would think that Jesus is the final authority on who is a child of God and who is not a child of God. I would think Jesus, who is 
God over all men forever praise. Romans 9 and verse 5. I would think that he would be in the know about who is a child of God and who is a child of the devil. I would think he would. And by virtue of our text, we know explicitly that he's telling a group of people that God is not their father, but that the devil is. And by saying that the devil is, he is also implicitly telling us that there are those who God is their father. So how do you know? And I would ask the question, who is your father? This morning, there are three significant observations I would make in this text. They are this. Those of you that like to take notes, I'll go ahead and give you these. First of all, we see the reality of religious deception. Secondly, we see the right of ownership being revealed. In other words, what, what reveals who owns you as a spiritual father? And then number three, we see the rogue and ruthless character of Satan being shown. So let's think about this as we walk through this passage, as we marinate in these verses. First of all, let's consider the reality of the religious deception that Jesus is addressing in this text. Um, This is a serious issue. Um, His dialogue with the Pharisee, it epitomizes and characterizes an ongoing problem that we have in the religious world. Mm, Let me make it a little more narrow here, that we have in the visible church world. There is religious deception that is going on. This is a serious problem. And by that I mean there are those within the ranks of those that are, well, they're among those that are born again that think something about themselves spiritually that does not reflect reality. They think they are one thing like the Pharisees here, when the truth is there's something altogether different. That's a pretty serious problem. To go through life, to go through the the motions of, of church even, and think something about ourselves spiritually that is not true. That's a terrible place to be in. Um, Listen to what they would say to Jesus. Because when Jesus began to get serious and tell them the truth, he pushed their pride buttons and they began to bow up against Jesus and they began to have some things that they had to say to Jesus. Jesus had told them plainly and bluntly in the earlier section we saw that they were slaves to sin and in 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 here he he's telling them not only that but they're of their father the devil and that didn't set well 
with these religious elites, they automatically got in defensive mode. They began to speak and say things like this to Jesus. Verse 39, Abraham is our father. They began to say things like verse 41, we have one father, even God. Like, who are you to think? Who are you to talk to us like this, Jesus? You know, they, they begin to blow up. They were, see, they, here's the thing. They, teachers of the law, teachers of, of the, 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 the law of Moses, they thought they were fully assured, they were fully convinced that they were okay. They thought that because they were genetic descendants of Abraham that they were in because they were in the bloodline of Abraham because Abraham was a ancestor to them because they were circumcised under the Abrahamic covenant that they thought that surely they were okay with God and so what would happen is that any time that someone would challenge their status of with God or anybody would begin to challenge the reality of whether or not they would dwell in the house of Yahweh forever, what they would do is, is they would, they, they would take hold of their security blanket that we call, that they call Abraham. Because that's what Abraham was for them. Whenever they were alarmed, whenever they were shaken, they cuddled up with their Abraham throw and they would tell themselves, I am okay with God. I am okay with God. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay with God. And they would rest in their Abraham security blanket. False security blanket. That's what they would do. That's how they were. That was not good that they would. You see, Jesus, Jesus shattered the lie that they were holding on to. Jesus shattered the lie that they believed. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 44. I mean, here they are. Abraham's my father. We have one father, God. And Jesus just looks at them. And he says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Boom. You probably could have heard a pin drop. Kind of like you can in here right now. <laughs> they were shocked. I mean, they were already angry. But they're enraged, I guarantee you now. They are They are upset. They are angry beyond imagination. And so, guys, this is not unlike today. Oh, this is not unlike your typical Southern Baptist church located in rural Alabama. People lay hold of their security blankets. And they lay hold of their security blankets rather than laying hold of their security in Christ or a security or letting Christ be their security. They lay hold of these things that are added to and other than Christ rather than Christ alone. 
And in so doing, they nullify the grace of God, as Paul would talk about in Galatians. And they have a false sense of security. I was there at one time. I was there at at that place. You see, I once had my Abraham. Surely God is my father. Because when I was 12, I recited a prayer for salvation. Surely, because I did that. Emphasis on I did that. Surely, God is my father. I had no interest in Christ. I just wanted a ticket to heaven and I didn't want to go to hell. But that was my security. That was because that's how we dumbed down the gospel. Pray this prayer. No, that's not the gospel. Get in the scripture. See what the gospel is. The gospel is that the salvation that God provides is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And folks, that radically changes your life. That brings glory to God alone. And that, as I always tell you, is what the scriptures teach. Each alone. The gospel message is repent and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not repeat this prayer after me. Now understand, there are those that legitimately get saved in that process, but there are multitudes that go through the process and think because, think because they did something, they did something, that they're okay. But folks, if your hope is in what you do and not in what Christ did, oh, we're, you're done. Be very careful. Be very careful. Okay. Now, as we're looking at this text, moving from the religious deception that drips through this text, we then see the revealing of the right of ownership. The dialogue that Jesus is having here gets quite pointed. Listen to what he says. I will highlight some things for you. In verse 39, he says that if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. Verse 41, you're doing the works your father did. Verse 38, you do what you have heard from your father. And of course, he's already told him your father is, well, the devil. What Jesus is doing is he is exposing the fallacy of their outward profession. He reveals info into knowing who rightly owns you, how to know who your father is. I mean, how do you know? How, how do you know if a person's a child of God or a child of the devil? I mean, surely. And I'm speaking facetiously. Surely. They wear black clothes and have black lipstick and have black fingernails and it's got to be the gothic people. And well, guess what? Not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. Um, I did, however, one occasion when I was a student pastor at Crestline Baptist Church down in Tuscaloosa. I had a, we would have an awful lot of 
people that would come to our Wednesday night youth service. And on one occasion, there was a guy who came in. He had long, dark hair, uh, fingernails. In my mind, I'm picturing him in a trench coat, but I know if he wore a trench coat, I probably would have gone the other direction. But that's just the way my mind is remembering that. But I asked the young man who was wearing a Baphomet, and you, that is the, the uh, five-pointed star encircled, um, and it, that is a, a satanic symbol the way he was using it. And I'm not saying that if you look on your map and you see that's the symbol for a state capital, that makes it satanic. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. That's how he used it. And he would, make, he would always make him the, 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 uh, giving the uh, 666 symbols the whole time I was teaching and all this stuff. And anyway, But when I asked him, I said, so what's your name? You know what his response was? In a very monotone sound, he said, I'm Jesus. Now, you know, here's, most folks would just go off the wall. No, you just embrace him where he is. I loved him and I shared the gospel and I kept right on going. It didn't, that, that, you can't let stuff like that freak you out. Now, okay, there's an example where there's somebody like that. that yeah, probably he's a child of the devil. But that, not everybody that looks like that is necessarily a child of the devil. Some of them folks have been saved. How do you know? You see, some of the devil's children, matter of fact, most don't look like that. Most don't look like that. A lot of them wear ties and coats <laughs> on Sunday mornings. You say, oh, now you've stopped preaching, you've gone to meddling. Um, they usually appear pretty good on the outside. On another occasion, I was in a Sunday school class. It was at the same church, Crestline. I said, guys, I want you to draw me your best picture of the devil. Well, you had some pretty good artists in there. They came up with some pretty good-looking stuff with the horns and the pitchforks and the flames and the fire. And that may be how the devil is in his heart. But I looked at all these wonderful pictures and I said, guys... This is not the picture the Bible paints for us. When you go to 2 Corinthians and you read the words of the Apostle Paul, you see that he says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, that they look good on the outside. Guys, these Pharisees were the paragons of moral virtue. They looked good on the outside. They were, they, listen, they were church going, well, it wasn't church, but they would go uh, together for Jewish worship they would go to the synagogue they were synagogue going folks they acknowledged outwardly Christ not Christ but God they were still talk about a Christ to come but they rejected Christ when he came wow well what proof of ownership is there though if, all the devil's, if a lot of the devil's children look good on the outside, how do you know? What proof is there? Well, Jesus gives us some little things that exposes and differentiates between children of God and the children of the devil here. First of all, I give you these things. Uh, for children of the devil, first of all, concerning the Pharisees, God's word, verse 37, it finds no place in them. 
The last part of verse 37 says, because my word has no place in you. And that word there that has no place, that's really one term. It's choral in the, in the Greek, and it, it, literally, it means to make an advance. In other words, or to make, a pro, to make progress in. It literally means to depart from somewhere and go to another place. And he's saying, my word is not taking you from where you are to where you're not. My word is not progressing in you. You're not advancing in faith, you're static. You're staying where you are. He's saying, "My word is not helping you do that." So you see, it's it's not my word's not making advances in you. See, it it makes no progress. Now you say, "Why is that important?" Well, if you go back to verse thirty and verse thirty-one, we see in verse thirty that it says this. It says, "Many believed. Many believed." I would even suggest to you that there were certain Pharisees that believed. Now, I know of one Pharisee that believed and he was born again. His name was Nicodemus. But, going back here, he says, many believe. And then watch in verse 31. It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him. <laughs> he's not, in, he's not, listen, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's not so much concerned with your outward profession. He goes on, he says, to those Jews that believed in him, what does he say? He says, if ye, if you what? If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So he makes a clear declaration there. In other words, if that belief is truly one, a belief that takes root in the fertile soil of the heart, that it comes forth and it produces fruit and it continues to grow and grow into the image of Christ that you will not achieve until you see Him as He is, ultimately, finally, in final salvation and perfection at our glorification, what the Bible calls glorification. But these guys are not experiencing that. They're not experiencing that at all. You know? Wow. Secondly, so God's words finding a place in them. Second thing Jesus does to expose the fallacy of their outward profession is he said, does this. He says that they long to carry out their father's desire. In other words, they long to carry out the devil's desires. Well, Everything that the devil does, he does against Christ. He is anti-Christ. This is why they want to kill Christ. They are anti-Christ. That's, that's the devil's desire. Ever since Messiah was promised to come in Genesis chapter 3 and it was spoken by God under the first prophetic utterance ever given that you that Satan would would bruise his heel, but he would he would crush his head. That the enemy has been doing everything he can to try and stop the coming of Messiah. We saw that with the. Uh, we could even talk about Genesis six and the Nephilim, but we're not going to go into that kind of sci-fi stuff today. Or we could talk about how what 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 the enemy led us led led Herod to do when uh, he had all those children that were killed, trying to snuff out and keep this promised one from coming, though he cannot thwart, though he ultimately could not thwart the plans of God. That's how insane the mind of, of Satan is. 
But he, the point is that the spirit of, of the devil always wants to snuff out the name of Christ, whether they come in the form of an atheist or whether they come in the form of the chief deacon. It doesn't matter. That's the primary objective of a satanic spirit. It does not love, nor like, nor care, nor want Christ to be exalted at all. That's why they wanted to kill Him. And silence His voice of truth. Thirdly, what do they do? Well, He told us in the passage, the pericope up above this that we were in a few weeks ago, that they were slaves to sin. You see, they don't. What they do is they they practice sin. Um, and if you read in in your Bibles, for example, in First John, chapter number three, we read these words in verse ten. It says, "By this," and this is John. This is the same John that is writing John's gospel. Okay, this is John the beloved. This is not John the Baptist. But he goes on and he says, by this, in verse 10, it is evident who, the children, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So here's the key. He's talking about, in other words, the defining character. is not saying you're perfectly righteous, but because you have been declared by the righteousness of who Christ is, you should now, the trajectory of your life is trying to work out that righteousness in your life. Now you're going to struggle with sin. You're going to struggle. That's the key. It's a struggle. You're going to be fighting against sin. You're going to be dealing with things. You're trying to address the issues in your life because we all have issues. You hear me? We all have issues. Every one of us have issues. We've got to work on those and we fight those and we deal with those. But that that's what that's it. They do not. They do not. They're, they have embraced it. They have no concern about dealing with the issues inside of them. They have made peace with them. They are content with them. They're okay with them. And that is a telltale sign of being unregenerate, not born again. Now, not so the children of God. All those things I told you are, are opposite in the children of God. And what they would be doing is that they would be, what would Abraham's offspring do? They'd be doing what Abraham do. What did Abraham do? What did Abraham do? I'll tell you what Abraham did. You go back to Genesis chapter 15 when it was told and promised the coming of the Messiah. He looked and he longed to see it come. He longed for this Messiah. He, 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 there was a love for him. For him, there, there had to be a love. Verse 44, 42 tells me that there was a love for the Christ, though Abraham had not yet seen him, because Jesus told the Pharisees, y'all, y'all don't love me. <laughs> and there would have been this love there. And so there is a love for Christ with the children of God. They would be practicing, as I've already mentioned, they would be practicing the righteousness they have been made. Um, Chapter 3 of First John, where I, quote, where I read to you verse 10, verse 7 says this, Little children, do not let anyone deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And he goes on, he says, 
and then and the third thing I would tell you is he talked about how they couldn't hear him. Now, it's not that they couldn't hear him audibly because when we talk about hearing God, some of you are waiting to hear an audible voice for God. God has spoken in his word. God had spoken in the Old Testament scriptures that those Pharisees had spent their lives studying and memorizing, yet they didn't hear God's voice in the scriptures because Jesus tells them that those scriptures you guys have studied testify to me. Okay? God's voice always leads you to Christ. Okay? It always leads you to Christ. It points you to Christ. It draws you to Christ. And Christ and who Christ is. God come in human flesh to bear the sins of those that will look and turn, repent, and trust in Him. Bear that wrath. Be their propitiation. To use the language of Scripture. So... Now, the third thing we see. I know I've given you a lot of little sub-points. Don't let me confuse you. But the third main thing we see, we see the, just him highlighting the, the ruthless character of Satan, the rogue character of Satan. Listen to verse 44 again. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his, out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is a dad that lies. That's what he does. He lies to his children about who they are, what they are, and where they will spend eternity. He lies to us about the goods that he has to offer. Satan will come and say, I promise you the world. But he fails to tell us that it will cost us our soul. The devil is a liar. Um, he, 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 he lets us believe. We, and when we believe those lies, we believe those lies to our own destruction. The devil is the ultimate deadbeat dad if you want to know the truth, um, because he delights in his children never knowing that he exists or that he's around. He doesn't want him. He's like, you know, devil's like, whisper, you know, whisper in their ear, just call God your father. That's okay. Don't bother me. <laughs> right. And he lets them believe these kinds of things. And you think you're okay, but in the end, when all is said and done, Satan looks and says, now you get to come home to Papa. And it's a tragic thing. It's a tragic thing. So the, here's the bottom line. And I'm drawing to a close. Guys, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you belong to your father, the devil. I don't care how many times you've prayed a prayer for salvation because you simply don't want to go to hell. If you're not born again, if you do not have a relationship by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the devil is your father. Now guys, when I was 12 years old, I had a well-meaning pastor write out for me on a little sheet of paper a prayer. Called, we call it the sinner's prayer. Well, 12-year-old me did not want to go to hell. And so I, I didn't care about anything else. I didn't really care for Christ. But so I prayed that, and I prayed that, and I prayed that, and I held on to that. But guys, that, when I was 12 years old, even after I prayed that, Satan was still my father. And it was not until I was 16 years of age, somewhere between 16 and 17 years of age, 16 years of age, that um, 
I was born again, that I truly trusted Christ, that the veil had been taken off my eyes and, and I came and had an, an encounter with the living Christ by grace alone, through faith alone. And, I, and, 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 and it was then all of the sudden that I suddenly had an awareness of what, you know, there's stuff in me that isn't good. And so I've been spending my life all these years battling against those things and crucifying those things and dealing with those things and, 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 and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was not till I was 16 years of age that I could say God was my father. And it would be a true statement. How about you? Who is your father? Who is your father? I tell you, I want you to hear this. If, if you're here and you're uncomfortable with, with who your father might be, I want you to understand this. This is what I want you to hear today. It comes from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. In the last half of verse 8, it said, John wrote this. For this is the reason the Son of God appeared. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy. God, that's good. To destroy the works of the devil. Do you hear that? The reason Christ came was to destroy the works of the devil. And at a place called Calvary, where he spilt his sinless blood, he disarmed the spiritual principalities and he destroyed the work of the devil. Though he is loose now for a season, he is but a puppet in the hand of God. And he will one day himself be cast into the eternal lake of fire and sulfur. And one day is coming where we will see, according to Paul in the book of Romans, we will see Satan, the God, we will see the God of peace soon allow Satan to be crushed under our feet. Where he's no more eliminated. Okay? No more tempter. No more whispering lies. No more confusion. No more of any of what he does. And that will be a glorious day. Will it not? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. It will be a glorious day. And because he has destroyed the works of the devil, I would say to all who are unsure about their father, come to him, trust him, savor him, love Christ, receive Christ this day. Will you believe the truth today? Will you repent and be saved today? Do you want to have a real relationship with Christ today? Your adoption has already been paid for. If you can say yes to those things, your adoption has been paid for by the nail-scarred hands of Christ Jesus, the King and the Savior. Wow. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed. Every eye to be closed.